Hey. 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 Hey there. Yeah, I'm thinking about restaurants, and I've never been comfortable in or with restaurants. I went through a little period where I feel like I was a little more comfortable with them. Because growing up, I was not comfortable at all in or with them. I was also terrified of so many different kinds of food. You know, I would, if, if, you know, my family happened to go to a Japanese restaurant, white rice for me, that's it. I remember an experimental phase when I was very young where I would just pour soy sauce on white rice and eat that. I had a couple times where I think I soaked it. I think I poured way too much soy sauce in, and ever since then I haven't liked soy sauce. But this is not about soy sauce. This is about just feeling very uncomfortable with the whole idea of restaurants because to me they feel so unnatural. And there's a certain privilege in that, sure, in you know, even being able to go to restaurants. Oh, it must be nice to, to be able to not like restaurants. Oh, it must be nice to have the right to be able to exercise the privilege of deciding whether or not you like restaurants. You should ask, uh, you know, those kids in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. Ask them what they think about, you know, liking restaurants. I bet they'd like going to any restaurant. I bet they'd like some white rice drenched in soy sauce. But despite restaurants being very much a privilege, they're everywhere here. I mean, they're everywhere anywhere you go just about any civilized place is just restaurants on every corner uh, and uh, people tend to be it tends to bring out you know just like couches bring out the most lazy worst aspects of people in that way restaurants bring out the worst in another way they bring out the most entitled side of people and you hear it all the time from people who work in that industry I mean there's a reason why if you have friends who work in service, why, you know, part of their dialogue is always going to revolve around what some customer did or what a type of customer does. You know, there's a reason why that's such a thing. Uh, but I also, I recognize it in myself, and not because I actually do these things. I think that I feel so... I feel that restaurants themselves are unnatural, and when I go to a restaurant, I feel unnatural. So I feel like I'm this unnatural entity within an unnatural entity. And that's not like two negatives make a positive or anything like that, if that's even a thing. I don't know. Um, uh, it's just you end up... When, when you're an unnatural entity within an unnatural entity, it just gets that much more unnatural and unnerving. And when I say in, entitled, you know, it's like I'm not trying to say, oh, rich people. Oh, these rich uh, boomers, you know, they go into these restaurants and blah, blah, blah. You, you, these these types of people don't tip. These people are always demanding. They're, 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 they always want the steak uh, well done, and then when you bring it to them half burnt, they, they have you take it back, and they say, where's the blood? And they said, you wanted it, you wanted it well done. You know, it's like, I'm not even getting into that shit. It's for me, it's just, it's almost, you know, let's, let's just go with the LARPing idea. I feel like everything I say these days is it's LARPing. It's live action role playing. It's cosplay. Uh, but I, restaurants are a great example of it yet again, where, you know, your server, your waiter, 
you know, they're playing this obvious role and you know they're getting paid to play this role. They're doing it only for money because there is no way anybody would truly enjoy just being like, I'm going to be your servant. And uh, even if I get a friendly customer who I like, you know, there's going to be some person who ruins my night by treating me like a lowly servant and uh, withholds a tip or, you know, whatever else. It's like there's, you know, I, I know from experience, you know, having not worked in that industry, but having dated people, having had good friends who have worked for many years in that industry, you know, if you hang out with them after a shift, they're not usually glowing about it. You know, they're not usually like, oh, my God, there was this guy who he was just so cool. He tipped me well, and he was just so great. Chances are there was somebody who was really shitty, and that's what they're thinking about when they get off their shift. And uh, so you have this person who's being paid to play this role, and that's why saying it's LARPing or role-playing fits really well here, because it's not just that this person is playing the role of a servant for money. You know, it's like you're watching this stage production where someone's playing a butler, except you're just sitting there, and you're sitting there, and you're role-playing as aristocracy. And I think that's why people like restaurants, or a certain type of person likes restaurants. I'm not going to say everybody likes restaurants for this reason, uh, but there's a lot of people out there who I think they like going to restaurants because, it, because it's the only chance they have in life to get to feel like they're aristocracy for once. They have a servant, you have this servant, and if they don't come to your table quick enough, you're mad. You're you're pissed off, and if they don't bring your food quickly enough, you're mad. You're pissed off. There's all this, you know. There's this these stress games, these little stress rituals we play when we go out to eat, where we're participating in this thing that's you know an incredible privilege. You're gonna overpay to treat yourself to like appetizers and some fancy meal and maybe a dessert. And even if you don't go all out, you're still overpaying. It doesn't matter where you are. And you might think it's worth it. But when I say overpaying, I mean, you're simply paying a lot more money than you would pay for those ingredients. Uh, where it, you know, and, and, and for the time for that matter, I mean, in the same amount of time it takes to get to a restaurant and wait for your food, it's like you could learn how to cook that. And, uh, you know, you'd obviously be able to buy the ingredients for much cheaper. And, you know, obviously that you don't want to do that. I mean, I, I understand why people go to restaurants. There are chefs. The chef is a better cook than you. I understand all of it. It's an experience. You go out and you socialize. You show off. You show off to your date. You try to show, show off that you're not cheap. Uh you try to be clever when you're ordering food. I don't, I don't know, whatever it is you do. I understand the reasons why people go to restaurants. But it is this weird game where you're pretending to be... You're pretending that you deserve to be served. I think beyond aristocracy, beyond like thinking you're a nobleman, you're sitting there like a, like a king. You get to pretend you're a king for once in your life. Even beyond that... Uh, you know, it's like at the very least, if nothing else, even if you don't have any fantasies about, oh, I'm so special, at the very least, you're thinking, I deserve to be served. And even though it is this luxury, truly this luxury, even if you're at a diner, even if you're at a, a cheap, low-end diner, it is still a luxury to be able to go out and do that. And you're still going to be paying more money than you would uh, otherwise, just at home or, you know, if you'd gone to a fast food place anywhere else. 
so it is this luxury no matter what. You can't get away from the fact that it is a privilege and a luxury to go to a restaurant. And in doing that, though, it's like even though you're participating in this thing that is totally like a the dot on the exclamation point. It's not a necessity for survival. If you're able to do this, if you're able to go to a restaurant, you're, you're doing a pretty good job at surviving all around. Uh, and despite all that, though, people find a million reasons to get upset, to get critical. Everyone becomes not just aristocracy, but they become a food critic. As they're eating this, this meal that they paid $20 for, they're, they're thinking, they're even saying with food in their mouth, they're saying, I don't know, I think it's better over there. Uh, you know, these, this veal is good, but uh, it's a little better over at Mario's. This veal here at Angelo's, uh, you know, it's okay. It's it's pretty good, it's pretty good, but uh, it's, it's a lot better over at Mario's. Sometime I'll take you over to Mario's. You know, you're sitting at Angelo's restaurant, and you're thinking about Mario's the whole time. Uh, you're, you know, that, that's what people do sometimes, though. They sit there and they compare the food they're currently eating to another place, to another restaurant. Now, that one's better. Or even if they think the one they're currently eating is better, they'll still do the comparison where they're like, mm, you know, this, this veal at Angelo's, uh, I think it's better than Mario's. They're still thinking about Mario's. Even if they're thinking Mario's is a little lower a little lower tier than the place they're at right now. They're still thinking about something other than what they're doing right now, other than what they're consuming. And that's the other thing, too, is, you know, talking. Because you think, oh, why go out to a restaurant? Oh, well, you get, you get socialized. It's a chance to talk to your friends, your loved ones, your family while you, while you eat. And I've never understood that entirely either, which is another reason why I'm not a huge restaurant person. It's because, you know, I don't like to talk while I eat. In fact, like, I don't like to face other people while I eat. I don't like to sit at a table where we're all looking at each other or, or even have the possibility of looking at each other. Even if everybody's pretty well, you know, t even if everybody's, like, you know, got pretty good wiring and they're not staring at each other while they eat, the, the fact that it's even an option and might happen accidentally isn't okay with me. And some people talk a lot while they eat. And, I, you know, the good people, like some of these people are good people. I'm not like saying these are fatal flaws. Like if you do this, I'm not saying I hate you. I love people who talk while they eat. I, I happen to love some people who do this. And a lot of people do it. And I love them all. I love them all. I love a mall. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's the other thing I don't get about it. Because I heard growing up... Uh, I was told, oh, you know, grandpa, my grandpa, he, he doesn't like it when people talk at the dinner table, and he's actually, like, has a hard rule about it. Like, he'll tell people to be quiet. And as a kid, I remember thinking, like, why? You know, why, why, is, why is grandpa so hard about that? And I didn't eat that many formal dinners with my grandpa. He lived across the street for many years, uh, but most of my experiences eating with him were pretty casual. He liked his ice cream while he watched TV, uh, things like that. But I don't remember a lot of formal dinners. Or most of them were when I was very young. But as a little kid, I just I remember hearing like, "Oh, Grandpa doesn't like it when people talk at the table," and that, that seemed to me like very dictatorial, authoritarian, very harsh. And then as I started to get a little bit older, I started to feel that way. 
I didn't think about my grandpa's rule, but I started to notice the same, the same rule developing within myself, where I noticed when people were talking a little bit too much at the table, I kind of wanted to lay down uh, my gavel. Not even a judgment, though. Not a, I don't even want to present it as a judgment. More like just a rule. No judgments here. We just have a rule. And, and then as I've gotten older, you know, I've realized what that rule is really about. It's not that I'm against people like sharing ideas or expressing themselves at the table. It's that you don't taste the food as much. You know, while we are these multitasking creatures, while we are these people who have, we have the ability to absorb multiple things in multiple ways. You know, we can hear things while we watch them, while we taste things. We can do these things all at once. But, you know, food is a special thing, and you really want to be able to taste it especially if you're a disciplined person who's not eating all day. Although people who do eat all day, they don't taste it either. And that's the thing when you pig out is you stop tasting it. And it's like you just, it's like it becomes this mechanical obsession where it's like you just want the crunch in your mouth or you just want something going on. And so it's not even about the taste at that point either. Uh, but, you know, in particular, though, like if you're a disciplined person and, you know, you wait plenty of time between your meals and you limit yourself to a certain number of meals. So in other words, by disciplined person, I mean, if you're just a, a normal person, if you can eat like a normal person, which many of us can't. And I, I've gone I went through many years where I didn't. Uh, but if you can just maintain like just a steady diet. You really want to enjoy the meal that you're having while you're having it. And you don't want to be thinking about how, how it compares to the, the veal at Mario's. But you don't want to be hearing anything else either. Because when you are absorbing something through your ears, you're being distracted. You're having to think, even if you're tuning it out, you're still having to think a little bit more than you should. And you want to taste what's in your mouth. And so even though we can like multitask with our senses and all of that, I do feel that when someone is talking to you while you're eating, you're not tasting the food quite as much. You're not quite there. It is taking you out of the moment. And by moment, I mean chew by chew. Moment by moment, chew by chew. So I don't really like talking in that way. And some people are very good. Like some people, I'm not saying nobody should be able to say a word at the table. I'm not saying it should be just this sealed vacuum of silence. Because I think some people are very good at just getting the, the right words in at the right time. But I don't like talking about the food either. You know, I, that, that to me is the worst. Like when, when you're at some like awkward Thanksgiving dinner and people are like, the mashed potatoes are good. Yep. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, it's like, I don't even want to make that food noise that I just started to do. Just, oh man, like I, I should just cancel this episode. This is not a show where it's okay to make like fake food noises, fake chewing noises. It's not acceptable here. Um, but anyway, you know, talking about the food, like, you know, I'll compliment it after, you know, if, if somebody made this, if I'm sitting at, if I'm eating with the chef, if I'm eating with the chef, you know, I'll compliment them after the meal. Because that way I've had a time, I've had time to really enjoy it. But there's this need to comment right away. Oh, it's really good. Really good. Um, and it's nice. It's all coming from a nice place. It's not like I'm talking about evil here. 
it's not like I'm saying all of these things are evil. I'm talking about, you know, decent people who have the right idea in mind, people who are trying to be nice. And so many of these things have become ingrained in, you know, our social culture in just the way we operate or we think we need to operate this way. We think this is how you show they think this is how you show gratitude or, you know, this and that. And it's like you can figure out your own way to do that without talking at the dinner table, without talking about the food as you eat it, without talking about other restaurants. I mean, would you do that if you're like sitting at a table with the chef? You know, if you're sitting at the table with the chef, um, would you talk about how your other neighbor, like say you're over at your neighbor's house and they cooked you a meal, which is interesting to think about. That seems like it used to be a more common thing, like your neighbor invites you over for dinner. I'd be shocked if any neighbor I've ever had invited me over for dinner. Uh, but let's just say we're in that normal 1950s world where neighbors have dinner with each other on occasion uh, to show, you know, neighborly respect. Uh, you know, imagine being like, oh, well, this is good. You know, I really like the way that you, uh, these chicken cutlets, you know, they're, they're cooked to perfection, but, you know, they're a little better over at, you know, my other neighbor's house. And I know you don't know them as well because I'm in between both your houses. So you're on my left and they're on my right. And you guys both invite me to dinner because I'm just, there's something about me that's just great. And, you know, all my neighbors invite me over for dinner. But I got to say, you know, as good as your cooking is, I, I like it. You know, four stars. Um, you know that to my right. All I got to do is walk out my walk down my driveway, go to the right, and I can get five stars there. Uh, you know, you, you wouldn't do that there. So why would you do it at a restaurant? Because um, at a restaurant, you get to pretend to be aristocracy. You get to pretend that you are a noble being served. That you have this servant, and you get to rate their service by giving them a tip. And you might mean well, but you don't know what a good tip is. You know, to them, you know, some guy tipped them $100 last night. Some some uh, some guy who won it big at the casino happened to blow through and he decided to tip them real big and he uh he fucked up the whole bell curve cuz now you know, some guy, you know, in his manic post casino state gave them $100. Uh, and you give them a $5 tip, and you look like you're cheap, and you, you're cheap and disappointing at that point. Uh, so you might mean well. It's not like you're trying to withhold a tip. It's not like you really are a cheapskate. Uh, but you become a cheapskate by default because the bell curve has shifted. That's one thing casinos have done. They've shifted the bell curve. They put people in these manic, elated states, and they just want to throw money around, and it... You know, it, it changes things for everybody. People don't consider that. They don't consider the impact that casinos have. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like, you know, what I've realized over the years, you know, is I just don't like food enough either. Because I understand some people, food is their thing. You know, they're techies and they're foodies. There are techies and there are foodies, and there's very little intersection between them. They sit at different lunch tables because the techies, they talk about the newest devices. They talk about the newest algorithms at their lunch table. And the foodies talk about recipes. They, they compare restaurants. You know, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, they're not, it's not like they're at war with each other. We're not talking about the jocks and the nerds here. 
but techies and foodies, there's very little crossover. At least that's how it used to be. There's a lot more crossover now. It's just, you know, we're living in this cross-pollinated, you know, uh, amalgamated, uh, strange new world where, you know, the boundaries that previously existed aren't really there. And uh, it turns out recipes are just algorithms. Uh, but uh, so, but historically, historically speaking, the techies and the foodies didn't really have much to talk about. And they shouldn't really be talking anyway if they're at their lunch tables, if they know what's good for them. Thank God I'm neither a techie nor a foodie, because I wouldn't really like anything they're talking about, because uh, I just don't like the talking, period. But anyway, uh, you know, for me, it's like realizing that it's like I'm not a foodie, as they say. I don't even like the word foodie. It's a lot like other words that have just become ingrained in our culture. I don't know what else to call them. A connoisseur? Uh, I don't know. And, and I don't have any problem with foodies. I think, uh, you know, again, you know, this isn't, I'm not talking about evil. I'm not calling anybody evil. I'm not calling anybody, you know, uh, bad even. <laughs> I'm not calling anybody bad. But, you know, these things aren't me. And when you, when you talk about how you're not something, people will hear that and think, oh, he hates everything that's not him. And it's like, no, I'm just very well aware of who I am. And there's a lot about myself that I'm not aware of, too. But there are certain things, certain boundaries, and as much as I try to push those, there are certain things that I've just realized about myself. And before I go too deep into that, I'll just say that one of those is I realized, oh, I just don't like food enough. And someone might hear that and think, oh, you don't like food. How do you human? you got to love how people talk that way. They're like, how do you human? Oh, you're humaning wrong. Somebody help me adult today. That's been one of the worst twists in this long, crooked passage of human communication is this whole, like, I'm, I'm adulting so well today. I did my laundry, I checked the mail, I checked my email. I'm adulting so well today. It's something people started saying, and you might hear that and think like, oh, what are you doing, hanging around with like a bunch of 20-year-olds? And it's like, that's how 40-year-olds talk today. That's how 40-year-olds talk. They say like, I, I'm adulting so well today. I need help adulting today. Oh, you don't like food. You're, you're not humaning very well. I live for food. Of course we do. We all live for food. Um, and I'm saying I don't like food enough. It's not that I don't like food. I cherish every meal, which is why I don't want to listen to anybody while I eat it, which is why I don't want to face anybody while I eat it. Everyone, there's this whole propaganda, you know, that's gone into saying, like, don't eat alone. Anybody who eats alone dies alone, which is a really harsh and severe way of policing somebody's eating habits being like you know, it's happened to me at work it's happened to me in all you know in school fortunately I didn't eat alone I think eating alone when you were in school seemed dark you know that there's something very dark about that I think you needed to be around people uh, if people could tolerate you and you could tolerate them there's something to be said for you know eating with people when you're in school if you're eating alone, I think that there is something especially dark and sad because it doesn't seem voluntary. It seems like, you know, just 
it is dark. It's just dark and sad. Why, why elaborate further than that? <laughs> Growing up and eating alone is different. I don't know why it just is. But when you when you're older, like I mean, I never, I didn't like to sit in like the communal area of jobs. I don't, you know, even with friends, it's like let's all just go off to our own little corners and reconvene once we're done with our meals. That's kind of my approach. And, and if you're dating somebody, if you're out with family, if it's a family dinner, of course, there are times where, you know, you should eat with people. What? Well, it's the, it's the right thing to do. You know, of course, there, there are exceptions. But as a rule, as a general rule, I'd rather just everybody sit, everybody find a corner and face it while you eat. Everybody find a corner and face it. Um, but, uh... Yeah, for me, it's like realizing I don't like food enough to make any of this worthwhile. And I think about how awful my diet was for, you know, most of my life. And I just I look back at that and I'm like, I don't like food enough to have done that to myself for so long. And it's because I didn't really know better, even though the information is literally everywhere. It's that I didn't really think about it and I didn't really care and then I wondered why I felt like shit all the time. And again, I didn't like food enough to be doing that to myself. And not just that, it's that, as I was saying before, it's like when you're doing that to yourself, when you eat shitty things or you overeat or anything of that nature, it's like this, you're, you're more attracted to the mechanism of it, of chewing and just, and it's boredom. It's, it's strange because you do reach a point where you're not really tasting anything and you know, in the same way that couches bring out laziness and restaurants bring out this false aristocratic entitlement, you know, something like popcorn, it brings out just this absolute slob in people. Like, if you've ever watched someone who's otherwise fairly dignified, the second a popcorn bag opens, they're, like, grabbing handfuls of it, and it's fall the kernels are falling everywhere, and, like, shit's flying out of their mouth, and popcorn does that to people. And I think popcorn's actually, you know, it's nice, you know, I don't have any problem with popcorn itself, but the mechanism of it, like people, they can't just eat eat a kernel at a time, they're not just going slow. Something about popcorn turns people into animals, and they're not really tasting it. That's the strange thing about some of these things, is they're eating it so rapidly and in such a frenzy that they're not tasting it, they're not thinking about it. It's just this mechanism. They're attracted to the mechanism. And I look back at myself when I was, you know, my eating habits for sure were much worse. And I'm like, I was just into this mechanism of doing that. And I didn't appreciate what I was doing and what I was consuming wasn't good for me. So why do it? And especially because I didn't like any of it enough. You know, I thought I did. You know, especially when you have sugar cravings and things like that. Sugar and carb cravings don't need to go into some dietary uh, speech here about what you should or shouldn't eat, but there are some obvious ones that all of the fad diets have in common. And uh, even today, though, even eating a lot healthier, even being a lot more deliberate in how and when I eat, I still don't like food enough to be into like restaurants and to be into this or that or to really have that strong of an opinion. You know, it's like, I hope that this, you know, is of a certain quality, I guess, is my only consideration. I hope that this, you know, I hope this animal was treated well before it was savagely butchered for consumption. I, I hope that this plant wasn't sprayed excessively with some chemical. 
those are the main considerations I have, you know. But beyond that, it's like I don't like food enough to really care. And that, and when someone hears that, like I said, they think, "What kind of human are you? What kind of human are you? You don't like food? It's like oh, I don't like it enough." Because apparently, everybody else just—it's all they think about. I mean, most people just talk. They they exchange a currency of restaurant information. That's like 90% of their social life is either recommending restaurants, reviewing restaurants, reviewing dishes, you know, it's, and I'm not knocking them. I'm not saying it's evil. Once again, I'm just saying like for me, I've learned, I've accepted, I don't, I don't like this enough. And that's actually helped with my discipline in particular, not to go off too much about that, but just it's really helped with my discipline because in being honest with yourself and being like, oh, you know, I don't like all this fancy stuff. And by fancy stuff, I mean like anything that's like, you know, cooked in any way, <laughs> but uh, give it to me raw. It's true, though, for the most part, like I realized, oh, all this stuff is just a luxury and I don't like food enough for food to be a luxury for me. And it's made it a lot easier to maintain a healthy diet because I'm like, I don't like it enough to really do this. And that way, the things that I do consume, I enjoy. And I, I enjoy the fact that they're generally good for me in most cases. Uh, you know? You know? And it's, it's a lot like other things, too. It's like realizing, like, oh, despite all this insane hype and pressure, you know, especially in this demoralized, immoralized, not Im and certainly not immortalized uh, world we live in that's just like, sex, sex. Have you thought about sex today? Have you thought about it? Oh, let's go out for drinks after work so we can talk about sex. So we can gossip about our sex lives. You know, despite all this insane pressure, is also realizing, oh, you know, I don't, I don't care... Even when you strip away all moral judgments, it's it's very similar to the idea of being like, oh, I don't care about sex enough to make it this much of a priority. And why did I spend all that time thinking this was so important? You know, teenage libidos, you know, whatever aside, you know, obviously there are certain, you know, you know, physical aspects. But once again, it becomes this mechanistic obsession. You know, people get obsessed with the mechanism of it, whether it's food, sex, anything. They get obsessed with the mechanism. And and when you realize that that's so much that's fueling you, you go like, oh, you know, spending that much time. And it's not saying those things aren't good when you actually have them or when, when it's important, when it's meaningful. I mean, it, whatever. Um, but, but realizing that those things aren't that important, not to say they're not important, but not to say they're not, they're not that important or not important enough for them to take up that much space in your life. Realizing that is, is incredibly liberating and powerful and gives you greater control over those things in addition to everything else it gives you control over because you have control over yourself and that's the common denominator in all of that. And to go back to restaurants, I think that's what's missing from my restaurant experience is I feel like I don't have control when I go there because I feel unnatural 
within something larger that's also unnatural. And I see what it brings out in people. First of all, it makes people talk. It makes them, like, sit there and, like, face each other like normal human beings. But it just it just brings something out in people. And, it, and you know, it makes me feel artificial. And the other issue with talking in restaurants is sometimes people, a lot of times, people gossip. They talk about people they know. Because people like to talk about people, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that. I do it, too. But it's like, hey, we're in a restaurant in a town... And everybody knows people and this or that. Yet people, they get into a restaurant and just like they, they're, they, they're paying this person or this person's getting paid to be a servant and they think that that person doesn't know people or they're not going to overhear things and they might not care what that person hears. But people do have this tendency to gossip in restaurants and it's like you don't know who's within earshot of you. And I don't like, you know, I don't like that kind of thing. And when I go to a restaurant and I talk, I, I always feel like everybody's listening to me and that's might might sound narcissistic and I, you know and I, I find that I don't listen that hard to like what other what people at other tables are saying but I still I feel like I'm on stage and I think that's what I mean by unnatural it's like I feel like I'm I feel like there's a spotlight on me and I feel like there's a speaker system broadcasting everything I'm saying to the whole room and maybe beyond maybe people who aren't even in the restaurant are hearing what I'm saying you know in mafia investigations a common tactic because so many of these gangsters just fucking eat all day. They're into the mechanism. These mafioso, mafiosi who are into the mechanism of eating all day, uh, they meet in restaurants. And so the FBI has a long-running investigative technique, very advanced, very advanced thought of putting microphones under tables in restaurants. Because so many people, so many mafia guys too, they like to sit at the same table and they sit there and they gossip they talk about people. They talk about crimes. They talk about everything they shouldn't. And they get caught. It's happened so many times. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like every time I'm at a table in a restaurant, I feel like there's a, a bug underneath it. I feel like there's a microphone picking up everything I'm saying, and it's going to incriminate me. Even if it's just the mashed potatoes are good. Oh, they're better at Mario's. Mario's doesn't even have mashed potatoes. You think a place called Mario's has mashed potatoes? The Nochi. Uh, the Nochi at Mario's. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm snitching on myself when I even utter a word at a restaurant. Even a, a non-incriminating word, I feel like I'm snitching on myself. I'm snitching on myself in a, in a room full of snitches, so you think it shouldn't matter, but, you know, I feel that way. I feel like I'm on stage. I feel like I'm revealing a secret that I don't want anybody to know, but I'm on stage telling everybody in the world when I utter a word in a restaurant. <laughs> um, but th- that's part of it. You know, it's, it's just that feeling of like, oh, wow, I'm exposed. This place has exposed me. It's nice, though, when you do have a feeling of anonymity in a restaurant, when you going to a restaurant out of town, that's the, that's the only time where it's okay to, to gossip. If you're at a restaurant that's in another place, far from where you live, that's when you really bring out the big guns of gossip and say whatever you want, and it feels good. Because you know that your, uh, your temporary LARPing servant, your servant LARPer, you know they're not going to snitch on you. 
You know, the only, the only thing you got to worry about there, and you don't even really have to worry about it because the FBI doesn't know what your favorite table is when you eat at a restaurant out of town. So they're not going to pick you up on any bugs. You know, so you can really say whatever you want, but you shouldn't be saying much because once the food is served, you zip it. You zip it. Unless you're really good. Like I said, there's. I was about to get into this because I want to be a little bit positive. There are some people who are really good at knowing when to talk in a restaurant when food is on the table. They're really good at like just fitting in the words without taking away from the fact that you're absorbing something with your taste buds and, you know, and they're not talking with food in their mouth. They're not, there's some people who, it is an art form to them, for them and to them. Uh, they're just, and I think they're naturals. I don't even think it's something they try to do. I think some people are just really good at knowing when to talk and what to do at the dinner table. But I'm not really one of them, you know. I'm, I'm not a natural, as I said. I'm an unnatural. An unnatural entity within an unnatural entity. Um, but, uh, yeah, with, with restaurants, though, there's that feeling like, yeah, like I'm snitching on myself. I mean, and I'm an extreme case, too. I'm a very extreme case, where if somebody even asks me a question... And I answer it, I feel like I'm snitching on myself. You know, it could be something totally innocuous. It could be, you know, when's your birthday? I'm a snitch if I answer that question. I'm a snitch if I answer anything someone asks me. Find a better way. What you got to do is you got to find a way to get somebody to give you the information you want without asking directly. What is this, an interview? What is this, an interrogation? You know, get somebody, find ways to lead somebody in and they'll share everything you ever wanted to hear. Probably too much. You'll probably find out, you know, someone's, the, the constellation alignment of somebody's zodiac sign when they were born, whatever that is. Uh, you'll find that out if you just know how to lead someone in. You can't ask them, though. Don't ask them straight up because, you know, you never want to, you never want to be the interrogator trying to convince someone to snitch on themselves, you know? But, uh, you know, I, I do realize, though, that it's like I don't like food enough, as I said. It's like I don't like it enough for this stuff to be important to me. And I, I do, because of all this, you know, you know, to preface all this stuff, it's like when I do go to a restaurant, though, I make it a point to really enjoy it. It's not like I'm sitting there being an asshole with my arms crossed, at least not most of the time. It's happened. It happens. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sitting there being an asshole. I'm not sitting there ruining the experience with my weird, neurotic misgivings about the unnatural nature of restaurant going. I do make it a point to be like, this is a weird luxury and I'm going to enjoy it and treat it like an alien would. I'm going to treat this like if somebody were, you know, making a movie about an alien who comes to Earth and they're trying to show them the good things about Earth. Well, first of all, they're going to take them to a restaurant. You know that, because that's what humans like to do. Oh, you go in there? You go into France? You better go to this restaurant. Oh, you're an alien on Earth for the first time? You better go to this restaurant, but don't go to Mario's. Go to Angelo's. Um, oh, hey, the alien landed. This alien landed in our backyard. We're going to take him to Angelo's. Show him what Earth's like. Uh, but, you know, that is something people would do if they could, you know, if they wanted to show their alien friend a good time. And so I pretend that I'm that alien friend. I don't pretend to be that, you know, curmudgeon. Well, I wouldn't be pretending, obviously. 
but I don't I don't play up the the curmudgeon who's like oh, you're gonna overpay for uh, <laughs> you're gonna overpay for some servant to bring you uh, breadsticks. <laughs> Because if I wanted to be that curmudgeon, I could make a, a terrible time for everybody. You know, they're just pretending to smile at you. Oh, why don't you find something to be stressed out about? Excuse me, sir, excuse me. My breadsticks are warm. I want them piping hot. When I come here, I want breadsticks that are piping hot. I want them piping hot. Not just hot. I want them piping hot. You can find something to be pissed about, and people do it all the time, and it really sucks, and it's embarrassing, and it makes you want to be the curmudgeon who gets mad or something, but you can't participate. That's what I've learned, is you can't participate. Um, You just have to be that alien observer who's like, you mean that we just point to this on the menu? I don't know. I don't know what voice that is. You mean that you just point to this on the menu and they bring it to you? Oh, this earth. Oh, this earth. Um, but uh, you, you, you want to take that approach, you know. If, if you're going to a restaurant, you want to make the most of it. And I think making the most of it is to treat it like it's something that you've never experienced before and it's something you never will. Because the worst thing of all for me, you know, I don't want the server to... I want the server to be as natural as they can be. And we all kind of want that. That's the weird thing about the whole server, you know, false aristocracy relationship is that the false aristocracy, you know, they want their server to be natural and real. And, they, and you know, a lot of people, like a lot of foodies, they, they want to have a real connection with their waiter and they want to thank the chef afterward and all that stuff. But if the waiter's a little too real, like if the waiter is, is in a legitimately bad mood, like her, her boyfriend, the waitress's boyfriend broke up with her, uh, you know, it, it's like, and she shows that, then it's like, oh, what's her problem? I wanted the waitress to be real, but not a downer. I wanted the waitress to be real, but not, a, not such a, a downer. Oh, my God. You know, the, the, wait, the waitress, she brought me bread. She brought me breadsticks, and they were piping hot, which is what I like. But she had a, a frown on her face because her boyfriend left her. I mean, keep it to yourself. You're supposed to be a professional. Um, so it's like when, when the waiter, waiter or waitress does act like they, when they do wear their heart on their sleeve, we hate that, too. We have this very, you know, we're very opinionated as far as what we want from our restaurant experience, which, again, is what makes it so unnatural for me. But one thing that really takes me out of the whole experience and, you know, speaking of snitching and, and you know, feeling like you're being recorded or there's a surveillance team watching you, um, you're on stage, it's when you get recognized. And that's a... You know, there's these sayings people have, like, well, there's two types of people in the world. People who put, you know, people in two categories and those who don't. You know, there's all those sorts of sayings. And uh, there truly are two types of people in this world, I've found, though. People who like the staff at restaurants and establishments to recognize and remember them and those who don't. And I think it is a man and woman issue. 
in the same way that men, you know, as much as it's this stereotypical like 1960s bad stand-up joke where it's like, oh, you know, men don't like asking for directions and women do. <laughs> you know that punchline, that great old punchline? You ever notice how men don't like asking for directions and women do? Uh, and the women do? Uh, <laughs> in that same vein, though, I, I really do think that women prefer to be recognized and seen. They like their regular, they like their regularity in frequenting an establishment to be acknowledged and recognized, whereas I think men cringe inside. I think real men cringe inside. Just like real men don't ask for directions, blah, 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 whatever, you know, I don't, I don't know what to even say about that. Although I do think there is some truth to it, and it might be some sort of evolutionary thing. I think all this could be evolutionary, even though restaurants are, you know, anti-evolutionary. There's some weird, restaurants are like some weird stagnation in the process of evolution and everything else. <laughs> evolution and everything else. Uh, but, uh... Th- th- that's how I really feel. <laughs> that's that's what I'm going to say. Next time I want to be a, a real curmudgeon, once I get sick of pretending that I'm an alien observer experiencing a restaurant for the first time and I really want to just be a, a downer, a, a curmudgeon, I'll just be like, you know, uh, this whole restaurant thing, you know, it's nice to be sitting here with you. Oh, it's so nice we, we could go out for the anniversary tonight. But I got to be honest with you, you know, it's like, I feel like we're participating in the stagnation of human evolution and everything else. <laughs> now, now bring me them piping hot breadsticks, baby. Bring me them, make sure the piping hot. Piping hot. Uh, give it a light peppering. Just a light peppering. I'll tell you when. But first, you got to do, start doing that light. Give it a light pepper in. Uh, but uh, I, I like my stagnation of human evolution and everything else to get a light pepper in. But more importantly, you better be piping hot. A light pepper in on my piping hot evolution. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, it's uh, that the recognition being remembered. The second that I get acknowledged when I walk into a restaurant, I might as well walk right back out. The second that a waiter or waitress is like, oh, you're back, which is Applebee's saying. If you've ever walked by an Applebee's, which I don't know how you haven't, when you walk into an Applebee's, their welcome sign says, welcome back. It's this weird, bizarre marketing thing they do where like they they tell you welcome back even if it's your first time there they're simulating the whole like recognition and, and remembrance they want you to think they know you even if you've never been there before which they might which is to say like maybe in an Applebee's no matter where you sit there's a bug under the table there's a microphone maybe no matter where you go in Applebee's they already know. They know where you're going to sit. Even if they say seat yourself, they, they already know where you're going to sit. Maybe Applebee's is that far ahead of the game. And it all, there's just this, oh, it's an innocuous little sign. It says, welcome back, because they're trying to make you feel like you're just, you're coming back. You know, they want to make you feel like you're practically at home. 
which is another weird thing, you know, where it's like restaurants that are going for that effect, where it's like, we, we just want it to feel like home for you. And it's like, well, I wouldn't go to a restaurant if I wanted to feel like I'm at home. That's a great joke. That's a, speaking of 1950s stand-up. What do you mean you're going to make me feel like I'm at home? I wouldn't have gone out to eat if I wanted to feel like I'm at home. Great jokes all around here tonight. Great jokes all around. Stagnation and human evolution all around. Um, But yeah, if I walk into a restaurant that I've been to before a few times and they're like, Oh, you're back. We know you. We know you're going to sit. I I would seriously rather just walk right out the door without saying a word. And nothing against them. Because of course they remember you. They're not stupid. You know, people who work in restaurants, there's this idea that they don't, that it's like some major exception. Oh, oh my God, it's so special. They remembered me. Of course they do. You think just because they see people all the time means they don't remember anything? It's like I always say, people are so much more aware than we realize and we're willing to admit. Even about ourselves, like we're not even willing to admit how aware we are of people's faces. And, you know, I I learned that in school where you go through school and everybody's so self-conscious and insecure and you feel like if you say hi to somebody from your class outside of that class that they're not going to know who you are or they're going to pretend they don't know who you are and, you know, oh, I saw the popular girl at the mall and I said hi and she didn't say hi back because she doesn't even know my name. She doesn't even know my name. You know, it's like it's that sort of experience where it's like, I saw Molly at the mall. I saw Molly at the mall. We have homeroom together every, every, every day and I sit right behind her. We worked on a group project together, but I said hi to her at the mall and she didn't even say hi. You know, it's like that sort of experience. But the reality is, like, then you get to, like, graduation, senior year, and you find out that everybody knew everybody. Or you get drunk at one party with a bunch of your classmates from high school, and it turns out everybody knew everybody's first first name, middle name, last name. And they have a—it turns out there's this big book that everybody gets at the end of the year in high school. And it has everybody's faces and pictures— and everybody looks through it. So even if you didn't know someone's name just by spending that much time with them every day for a decade, you have a big book <laughs> that says that. And uh, it turns out restaurants do too. Restaurants have a giant book. They have yearbooks. There, a lot of people don't know this. You know, I said before, you know, I, I, I know people who work in the industry. I know people who work in the restaurant industry. Industry. And uh, some, you know, some people, you know, when you have friends who work in the restaurant industry, uh, they'll tell you things like, oh, there's stuff you can order off the menu. There's stuff that ain't on the menu, but if you ask for it, they'll cook it for you. Well, it turns out there's also a yearbook. They got a restaurant yearbook in the back of every restaurant. And they got your picture and your name and what you order. And they even got the stuff that you order when you're just trying to shake things up. When, when you're just trying, because you order the same thing every time, so much that they predict it. But when you're trying to be unpredictable, they even know what that thing is. They even know what the, what your, your, your B option is, what your option B is. 
but they got one in the back of every restaurant. It's crazy. It's a yearbook, and it has everybody's faces, and they know you, man. Because as I often say, people are so much more aware of other people in particular than they ever let on. And certain people like in that industry won't let on because they truly are just being paid to like live out that role. But other people, they will eventually be like, I remember you and I know what you order. I know you get the General Sounds chicken, you know, in the pad thai every time. I know you're going to get the pad. Oh, and they'll even do that. And, you know, it's one thing to walk into a restaurant and have them remember you. For me, that's horrifying. It's like having your skin stripped off. Um, it's one thing to walk into a restaurant, though, and to have them recognize you. That's a whole, you know, that's bad enough. But the worst is when you sit down and they're like, I bet you're going to have the pad thai with shrimp, huh? So you're going to have the pad thai? When they, when they know what you're going to order, and they're right. You know, it's not like they're wrong. But they, you come in every week, and they know exactly what you're going to get because they know. They're smart. They have to remember what people order, you know, for a living. They have to memorize menus for a living. And they deal with people, and they see them week in and week out, and they have a lot of regulars. And just because they remember you doesn't make you special. Uh, but uh, why am I being such an asshole? Of course, it, it, it makes you special. It makes you really special when they remember you and they remember what you're going to order. It makes you really important. It makes you, because you're an aristocrat, you know? You're paying to have a servant come over to you, and, and they better be timely, too. They better be, they better, they better come over to your table within a reasonable window of time. And if they don't bring your water over right away, they might not even know you're there. And what kind of peasant freak doesn't know when aristocracy sits down waiting to be served? Uh, but really, uh, you know, when they remember what you typically order, that's just, if walking in and being recognized in a restaurant by the staff is, you know, like having your skin stripped off, you know, when they remember what your favorite dish is, when they remember what you order every time you go in there because you're not adventurous and you don't like to shake it up and orange chicken's the only Thai food you've ever tried because you're scared of everything else and they say you're getting the orange chicken. Uh, you know, those, those people who work in Thai restaurants and sound like that uh, and they say you're getting the orange chicken, huh? Two stars, right? Uh <laughs> They, uh, you know, if, if walking in and being recognized as having your skin stripped off, it's like walking through a, a laser wall that just strips your skin off, like a, like a laser uh, shield. Sitting down and having them predict what you're going to order, it's like they just sucked your mind right out of your skull, and it's never going to come back. Unless you say, no. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, servant peasant freak. I'm not going to order the orange chicken this time. I'm going to order the pad CU. I can't wait to look at the waveform of this. See the spikes. Every time I look back on the waveform and I see the spikes, it's always just when I make some weird little noise. It's never from yelling. I would love it if the spikes on the wave file of this were just from me yelling. The peaks from me screaming, getting too loud, but it's always just some little, like, thing. 
It's like some popping of my lips. The popping of my lips. But no, you try to, when they do that, I, I mean, that's my tendency. If, if, a, uh, if, if, you know, my server knows exactly what I'm going to order, which is what I was planning on ordering. I was going to order the orange chicken because I've been looking forward to it all week. I've been looking forward to this night out all week, and I'm going to get the orange chicken. And they predict it. They try to they uh, they jump on the railroad tracks before I have a chance to you know hit hit my break. I'll I'll try to vary it up. I'm 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 way too oppositionally defiant to have my menu choices predicted. I'm way too much of an individual to allow them to predict my menu choices. So I'll throw in a curveball, of course, even if I don't want it. And I'll, and I'll begrudgingly eat my pad CU, not realizing that they knew I was going to order that too. Because in the yearbook entry with my name and face, it says orange chicken, and then underneath it in italics for my second option, it says pad CU, and they knew that too. It says pad CU, and they knew that too. Because they know everything. Because they got, they got that place bugged. And I'm snitching on myself by even going there. So, you, you know, next time uh, you go to a restaurant with me, I expect you to know all this. I don't expect you to think like me. I don't expect you to be like me. I don't expect your option A to be orange chicken and your option B to be pad CU. But, you know, I expect you to, to know a little bit about this, to know how these things work. At the very least, I don't want you to be surprised when you find out that there is a restaurant yearbook in every restaurant. I mean, it's part of the certification process. That's what you don't realize. It's, it's just like there's a, you know, a clean bill. Like when you see a restaurant, you're looking through the paper trying to see which restaurants failed their cleanliness report. They failed their health inspection. Because, you know, you got to do it. You got to find out which places aren't going to kill you or aren't going to make you feel gross. They're not going to make you sick. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want this luxury in aristocratic LARPing to make me sick. <laughs> I, I don't want that. Um, but when you're going through and you see that places failed their health report... About half the time, it has nothing to do with cleanliness. It's because they didn't find the restaurant yearbook in the back. The health inspector didn't find the restaurant yearbook. Because that's more important than cleanliness. Because that's awareness. Awareness is so much more important than cleanliness. And if you go to a restaurant and there's no restaurant yearbook, that means that the staff of that restaurant is not aware of their customer base. They can't predict what people are going to order. They don't remember them. And, and like I said, half the population wants to be remembered, half doesn't. The half that wants to be remembered always wins out. You know, the people who want to be acknowledged and remembered when they go into a restaurant, who want to be told welcome back, whether it's part of an Applebee's marketing campaign or whether it's part of, you know, just somebody legitimately welcoming them back in a hole-in-the-wall noodle shop. You know, those people end up winning out. 
because those are the same people. Th- those people are the same reason why restaurants exist. That's the reason why restaurants are everywhere. That's the reason why restaurants are a currency in our communication. You know, that's why, you know, if you don't know what else to talk to people about, you talk about restaurants. That's why you talk to people about restaurants when you're in a restaurant. It's all those things. And, and I recognize, too, that, you know, this episode, it's, it's dealt with some, I don't want to call them higher concepts, but I would say there is a, little, a level of arithmetic to it. You know, none of this is, you know, this is all based in, you know, a form of logic. And there is an arithmetic to figuring all this stuff out. And I feel like I'm snitching on myself by even acknowledging that. I mean, this is sort of a tell-all. This is, you know, a lot of years of work. A lot of... Uh, a lot of this, this this episode is the product of years of work and study, but most importantly, awareness. Because if every restaurant has its own yearbook in the back room, a yearbook covering all of its clientele, they should see the yearbook that I have. It's a different form of restaurant yearbook. It lists all the staff. It lists, you know, all. You know, I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, you you want you want a yearbook? Uh, just go look at the menu. The only yearbook we got here. It's called the menu. Circle what you want. We got it laminated. We got this menu laminated so that you can just circle what you want. So the, and, and we got a dry eraser so we can just wipe it clean when you're done. Circle what you want so you don't, even, you don't even have to talk to anybody. That's my kind of restaurant. Just one that has a laminated menu. You circle what you want. You lay it on the table. You say nothing. You do nothing. And you don't even eat it. No acknowledgement. No memory. No awareness. Not even a meal. What am I doing here? I'm an alien. But at least I'm an alien with an entry in the restaurant yearbook. This land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free